minutes pass from me Watch the soldiers gather round here In the dark Gethsemane See him stand before old Pilate Hear the crowd cry, crucify Watch our blessed Savior suffer See him bow his head and die Watch them thank his bleeding body See them lay him in the tomb Watch them wrap him in the grave they anoint him with perfume. Now they'll wait, they'll watch and worry. Though they knew he had to die. And while they waited for his promise, Christ was very much stand tonight please as the choir is coming down this is our chance to get out shake hands make everyone feel welcome tonight look around folks get out shake about 379 hands then go back to your seat
As you get through shaking your hands, turn to page 548. Glory to his name. 548. See, we're going to ask Tim now if he'll come and sing. Strong to what I could not understand. But for the cause of Christ, I spent my days believing that what he had me be is who I am. As I've come to see the weaker side of me, I've realized His grace is what I need. When sin demanded justice for my soul, mercy said no. I'm not gonna let you go. I'm not gonna let. 
way You don't have to be afraid Mercy said no Sin will never take control Life and death stood face to face And darkness trying to steal my heart away Thank you, Jesus Your mercy said no God so loved the world that he sent his son to save us from the cross he built a bridge to set us free oh but deep within our hearts there is still a war that rages and makes his sacrifice so hard to see as midnight fell on crucifixion day, the light of hope seemed oh so far away. And as evil tried to stop redemption's flow, the nurse said, No, I'm not gonna let you go. I'm not gonna let slip away you don't have to be afraid mercy said no sin will never take control life and death stood face to face and darkness tried to steal my heart away but thank you Jesus your mercy said no and now when heaven looks at me it's through the blood of jesus reminding me of one day long ago Praise the Lord. Thank God for His mercy, don't you? Praise the Lord. Well, just before I get into the message, I want to introduce some special guests we have here with us this evening. 
Brother Ogie and Catherine Abilene, if you would just stand right where you are. These are some missionaries on deputation, and they want to go to the Philippines. They feel the Lord's call, so let's make them feel welcome in the service tonight. At the end of the service, uh, Brother Abilene, he's going to come up, and he has a slide presentation he wants, he's going to share with us tonight. And so we'll be much in prayer for him. Appreciate them being in the service tonight. They met with our mission committee just a little while ago, and we praise the Lord that they are here tonight. Well, if you would, take your Bible and find the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter number 6, Daniel chapter 6. Now, no doubt you've heard the expression that sometimes you got to read between the lines. You heard that expression? You've got to read between the lines. Well, tonight I want to bring a message that I would entitle, Reading Between the Lions. Reading Between the Lions. Daniel chapter number 6, probably the most single, most familiar chapter in all of the Old Testament. That's probably the single most familiar story in all of the Old Testament. But I want to just share a few thoughts from you for you from Daniel chapter 6. Stand to your feet if you would. I want to read just one verse, but we will look at pretty much the entire chapter. So we want to read just one verse when we get into the message. Look at verse number 16. Daniel chapter number 6, verse number 16. The Bible said, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Let me read that again. Look at verse number 16. Then the king commanded, they brought Daniel, and cast him into the den of lions. Now this next phrase is kind of unusual to me, kind of unusual for a pagan king to say this, but he says, Now the king spake unto, and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you again for this evening. Thank you so much for how you've met with us throughout this day. We, we're still rejoicing over this morning service, and thank you for how you met with us there. And I thank you for this good scene that we've heard. Thank you for all our kids that have been busy studying and memorizing your word. And, and Lord, we call upon you right now. And Lord, we ask that you will just meet with us one more time. And Lord, I, I would be the first to admit that I'm not worthy to stand here and open up your word in front of a group of believers. And Lord, I pray for just a little while that you would just fill me with your spirit. Father, I ask that you would just fill me with your power. I pray that you would preach through me tonight the message that you've laid on my heart. And Father, we'll thank you and we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the year was 1523 and Henry VIII was the king of England. And at that particular time, the only Bible that they had, the only legal Bible that they had, was the Latin Bible. There was no English Bible. Everybody spoke English, but they had a Latin Bible. And there was also a law that if anybody were to try to translate that Latin Bible into English, that would be a crime punishable by death. Well, church history tells us that God raised up a man by the name of William Tyndale. And William Tyndale had it in his heart to translate that Latin Bible into English so that all the common people would be able to read it and would be able to understand it, knowing full well that that was a crime punishable by death. He said Tyndale uh, confided in one of his friends one, one day while he was thinking about doing this, contemplating on doing this, and he said this to his friend. He said, I will no doubt die at the stake. I will no doubt be burned at the stake for what I'm about to do, but nonetheless, I am compelled to do it. And the rest of Tyndale's life he spent translating that Latin Bible into the English language. And during the whole time, he was all the time running from the king, being a fugitive from the army of the king. 
On October the 6th, 1536, William Tyndale was captured. And he was tied to a stake to be burned. And before the flames could consume his body, Tyndale was heard to cry out these words. He said, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. Now the English Bible that you hold in your hands this evening and the English Bible that I have before me here tonight, we have it because of godly men like William Tyndale who were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have and that we could understand and read the Word of God. William Tyndale died at the stake. He was burned at the stake not for doing something wrong, but for doing something right. <clears throat> the story that we have before us in Daniel chapter 6, we have a similar story. Daniel in Jan Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is faced with circumstances. He is faced with situations where he must choose between his convictions <clears throat> and his convenience. Daniel has to choose between what is right and what is wrong. And if you know the story, you know that it was a major decision that carried some pretty... Uh, <clears throat> interesting results. Well, I want to make our way through Daniel chapter 6. I want to share with you a couple of thoughts. There's three movements in the story that I want to share with you here from Daniel chapter number 6. First of all, I want you to see the decree of the king. I want you to notice the decree of the king. Now, at the time of Daniel chapter 6, there had been some major transformations that have taken place in the town, in the city of Babylon. In Daniel chapter number 2, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he had a dream. He had a vision. And God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar then that one day Persia would come in and Persia would overcome and would overpower the Babylonian empire. And here in Daniel chapter number 6, that has happened. But you know, one thing stands out to me. Despite all the changes that has gone on, despite all the ups and downs, despite all the upheaval that has been going on in the city of Babylon... Daniel had been there the entire time, and Daniel is the one constant through it all. It reminds me of the verse of Scripture in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, where the Bible says, The world passes away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, I thought about Daniel, and I thought, <clears throat> what was it about Daniel that made him such an impact? What was it about Daniel that allowed him to be so faithful and be so used of the Lord uh, throughout, throughout this particular kingdom and throughout this particular time. Well, I thought about a couple of things. You know, I think Daniel, as I read and as I study his life, Daniel viewed life with an eternal perspective. Daniel, he saw things from heaven's point of view. I hope when I'm 90 years old that I am a lot like Daniel. Daniel, he came to Babylon, he was just a teenager, and he lived all through the changes and all the things that were going on in the city, and he remained faithful to his God, and God continued to use him all through the years. I want to be like Daniel. If the Lord allows me to live till I'm 90 years of age, I hope that I still can have faith in my God. I hope that I still will be found faithful to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope I still have an upbeat and optimistic view of life. In fact, I want to be like the 90-year-old man that I read about. He went and got married. And after he got married, 90 years of age, when he got married, his wife, they went out and they bought a four-bedroom house next door to an elementary school. Now, that's optimism, wouldn't you think? <laughs> but I want to be like Daniel. I want to get through my life and however many years the Lord allows me to live, I want to be found faithful to my Lord. Regardless of what goes on in this world, regardless of all the changes and all the things that take place, I want to be found faithful 
to my Lord. Well, I want, to, I want you to think about a couple of things. I think about this particular part of the story. I want you to notice the faithfulness of Daniel. I want you to notice the faithfulness of Daniel. The story tells us that there were some people here in Babylon who were very jealous toward Daniel. You see, they, they were very ambitious men. The Bible talks about princes and, and, and other governors that was there, and they were very ambitious. And they were trying their best to move up the corporate ladder. The ladder. They were trying their best <clears throat> to reach the top. But every time when they got to the rung of the ladder where Daniel was, for some reason they just could not move past Daniel. They just could not get Daniel off of that ladder. They couldn't get any higher than what Daniel was and that that irritated them. They became so insanely jealous toward Daniel. So this is what they decided to do. These men, they launched a full-scale investigation into the life of Daniel. They looked into his past. They left no stone unturned. They looked at every aspect of Daniel's life, his entire 90 years, and they think, surely, surely in Daniel's life there has bound to be something that we can use against him to get him off this corporate ladder so we can move up in front of him. They think, Surely in the nine years there's bound to be some kind of sex scandal in the past. Surely in Daniel's life there's bound to be some kind of money laundering scandal. He's been involved in politics the whole time. Surely he's been involved in something like that. They think maybe certainly sometime he's been found guilty. He's been guilty of tax fraud that nobody knows about and nobody has heard about. And they search into Daniel's past and they try to find something in Daniel's life to try to drag him down and try to destroy him. But look at verse number 4. We see the result of that investigation. About halfway through verse number 4, it says, They could find none occasion nor fault, for as much as he was, found, for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel lived a pure life. For 90 years, he's almost 90 years of age. For 90 years, Daniel had lived a pure life. Daniel had lived a blameless life. And these men, they studied his life. They looked into his past, anything that they could, and they could not find not one fault, not one thing that they could pinpoint in Daniel to try to drag him down. Now, that's an amazing statement to me. Ninety years of life, and they couldn't find anything to drag him down. I would remind you this evening, and I hope you know, that Daniel is not the only person to ever have somebody look into his past. Daniel is, the, is not the only person to have somebody study his life. You know, at work, if they know that you're a Christian, they are watching your life. They are studying your life. And especially if they are not saved, then there's something missing in their life. There's something missing in their life. And if they know you're a Christian, they're watching you. You know why they're watching you? They want to figure out if there's something, if what you have is real. They want to know if what you have is what they need. They're watching your life. Daniel is not the only one to have somebody watch his life, but they did. They watched his life, they studied his life, and there was no fault found in Daniel. The only thing that they found, and they said it, they said that he was faithful to his God and he prayed three times a day. That's the faithfulness of Daniel. But I want you to notice something else. Not only the faithfulness of Daniel, but I want you to see the flattery of the king. The flattery of the king. In verses 6 through 9, the Bible tells us that these accusers, these, these men, uh, they went to the king. They decided if there's nothing in Daniel's life, they couldn't find anything in Daniel's life. So they thought maybe they could find something in the king's life. Maybe they could find something in his life that they could maybe use against Daniel. 
Well, they decided to appeal to the vanity and to the pride of the king. You see, Daniel or uh, Darius was a very was a was a had a tremendous power. He was a man of tremendous power and prestige and esteem, and he had to be. In order for him to be able to overthrow the Babylonian, the mighty, powerful Babylonian empire, Darius had to be quite a ruler, had to be quite a king. And it is said of Darius that he had such pride, and he was so proud of all of his, th- his accomplishments and things that he had done, that Darius sometimes viewed himself as more of a god than, a, than as a man. And these men, they knew that. They knew that about Darius. They'd been around him. They'd seen him act. They saw how he walked around the palace. They knew, what, they knew how prideful that he was. And, and so they approach him talking, about, talking up his pride and, and appealing to his pride. And I can almost hear them. They go up to the king and they say, they say, Oh, king, you are a powerful man. You are a mighty ruler. There, the king, there, bound to be, there's, there can't be anybody else in the world like you are, oh, king. You had, in fact, in our opinion, in our opinion, you have got to be the greatest king to ever live. And then they went on to say, King, we want to honor you. Seeing how powerful and how mighty and how majestic you are, we want to honor you, O King. You know what you should do? You should, you should make a law, you should make a decree that for 30 days, for 30 days nobody could pray to any other God except to you, O King. In short, King, what we want to do is make you God for a month. That's what we want to do. And, King, if anybody fails, and if anybody does pray to any other God than you, then they should be thrown into the den of lions. King, what do you think about that? We ought to do that. Well, I can imagine what that king looked like. He thought, man, praise God, somebody finally sees me for the way that I am. I've been trying to tell people about this all along. And he said, where do I sign? He already had the thing drawn up. And he signs his name. Nobody is to pray. 30 days, you can't pray to anybody other than to King Darius. Now, you know what's sad about this? I was thinking about this. and If that kind of decree was made today, they were somehow able to make a law that for 30 days you could not pray other than to some earthly king or some earthly ruler. I fear that there would be some Christians that that wouldn't affect their life in the least. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. But... uh, I, I would just say that I hope everyone in here, I hope there is, without exception, I hope that every, every one of you underneath the sound of my voice, I hope you have a vital prayer life. I hope you have a vibrant prayer life because that is one of the most vital parts of your Christian life. You can't survive the Christian life without a healthy prayer life. But that's the decree of the king. He signs a decree. Nobody is to pray for 30 days other, except to King Darius, which brings me to the second point, to the second movement in the story. Not only do you see the decree of the king, but number two, you see the devotion of Daniel. The devotion of Daniel. Now, when the king signs this decree, CNN blasts the story all over the airways about this decree that that the king had made. Daniel walks into his office. He gets his copy of the the Babylon Times and Free Press, and he he reads the headlines. And the headlines say, 30 days... No prayer. 30 days, no prayer. Now, I want you to see a couple of things. Now, first of all, I want you to see the consistency of Daniel. I want you to see the consistency of Daniel. Now, all of a sudden, Daniel has a major, a major decision to make, doesn't he? Now, all of us make decisions every day. I make decisions every day. You make decisions every day. 
Some of them are, are just small and fairly insignificant decisions. And if you happen to make the wrong decision, it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference whether you choose to go to McDonald's or Burger King for lunch. It doesn't make a whole lot of difference. But some decisions we make are big decisions. And some decisions that you make have, are such large decisions, are such big decisions that they have far-reaching effects. In fact, I was reading about two men in particular. Each one of them made a decision in their life concerning themselves and concerning their family. The first man, his name was Max Jukes. Now, Max Jukes, he lived in New York, and he made the decision that he was not going to believe in God. He was not going to go to church. He did not want anything to do with religion, and he did not want religion or anything like that to be in his family. He didn't want his family involved in any of that. And what I was reading, it was written in 1988 about these particular two men. And as of 1988, Max Jukes, he made that decision, and as of 1988, he had had 1,026 descendants. 1,026 descendants. Of those descendants... 300 of them were sent to prison for an average term of 13 years. 190 of his descendants became public prostitutes. 680 of his descendants were admitted alcoholics. His family thus far had cost the state of New York in excess of $420,000 as of the year 1988, and not a one of his family made any significant contribution to the, to the society. That was the decision that Max Jukes made. No Christianity, no Jesus, no religion. That's what he reaped. The other man, you'll be familiar. When I say his name, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. But his name is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards also lived in New York, and he lived at about the same time as Max Jukes. And if you know anything about Jonathan Edwards, he loved the Lord with all his heart, and he saw to it that himself and his family was in church every time the doors were open, and he served the Lord to the best of his ability all of his life. Well, as of 1988, Jonathan Edwards has, had had 929 descendants from, as of 1988. And out of, those, uh, out, of those, out of those 929 descendants, 430 of them became preachers. 86 of them became university professors. 13 of them became university presidents. 75 authored good books, and 13 of them became, uh, uh, seven were elected to the United States Congress, and one of his descendants became the vice president of the United States. Each one of these men, they had a decision to make, and a lot of times we think, our decision, that might, what I do, what I do today, decisions I make, it doesn't affect anybody. Yes, they do affect somebody. They affect you for a long, long time to come. Well, Daniel was faced with a decision that would have far reaching effects. Now, you know what? I think about Daniel, and I think about in the situation he was in. You know, Daniel could have, could have rationalized right here, couldn't he? I could hear me and some things that might have been going on in my mind. I Just try to imagine Daniel rationalizing. I could hear him thinking, you know, if I pray and I get caught and I get killed, I'm not going to be able to serve God anymore. I've been, I've been in this land. God's used me. He's, he's allowed me to serve here, and I, I've been a good influence. Man, if I get killed, then that's all going to be over. So, you know, maybe I ought to just, you know, I ought to just lay low for about 30 days. You know, maybe I, 30 days, it's not that long. It won't, it won't hurt too much if I don't pray for just 30 days. Can you hear the rationalization? Then maybe he thought, well... No, I, I really do need to pray. So this is what I, I tell you what, I, this is what I'm going to do. I'll go down into my cellar 
Well, there's no windows. Nobody can see me, and I'll pray down there in my cellar. And you think, no, 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 I got a better idea. At night, when I go to bed, I'll lay my head down on my pillow, and I'll close my eyes and act like I'm sleeping, and I'll pray then. I mean, for after all, you don't need to be a fanatic about it. I've been praying in front of an open window along. Everybody walks by, sees me praying. You don't need to be a fanatic about the thing. I'll just, I'll just do that. Well, look at verse number 10. Look at verse number 10. See how Daniel did react, the decision that he made. Verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Now, here's a man who will not compromise. Daniel will not compromise. Now, this is the same man, mind you, and you're familiar with Daniel's life. Many years early, when Daniel was just a teenager, it's the same man who many years early, when he was a teenager, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And here he is now, maybe 60, maybe 70 years later, still being faithful to his God, still standing on his convictions, and still saying right is right and wrong is wrong, and I'm going to do right regardless of what everybody else does, regardless of what everybody else says, I'm going to do right. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to be faithful to the very end of your life? To the very day that God calls you home, can I encourage you to be faithful? The date, May the 19th, 1780, some very unusual events took place in Hartford, Connecticut. May the 19th, 1780. That date has gone down in New England history as the terrible foretaste of the Judgment Day. You see, on that particular date at noon, the skies went from blue to gray. And by mid-afternoon, they had darkened completely over. It was dark in the middle of the afternoon. It is recorded that men were running all over the town, all over the city, falling down on their knees, falling down on their face, Faces begging God for a final blessing before the end came. They knew just they just knew the end was coming. Well, that particular day, the, the Connecticut House of Representatives was in session, and all of those men in that re, in, in that in that chamber, many of them were falling down on their faces, and many of them were calling for an immediate adjournment. Well, about that time, the Speaker of the House he rose to his feet. His name was Colonel Davenport. He rose to his feet, he got everybody's attention, he got attention of the crowd, and he spoke these words. <clears throat> he said, the day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, then there is no cause for us to adjourn. <clears throat> if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Therefore, we shall not adjourn. Now, there was a man who decided he was going to be faithful to the very end. He was not going to quit. He wanted, when the Lord come back to get him, he wanted to be found doing what God had called him to do. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Paul. I want to be able to say with a clear conscience, like Paul said at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. We see Daniel, just as soon as he hears of the decree that the king had made, no prayer, 30 days, except to the king, except to king Darius, and, and Daniel, he goes to his place, and he, as he always did, as the Bible said, he went to his place in front of that window toward Jerusalem, got down on his knees, and he prayed three times a day. Now, you know, there's some important characteristics about Daniel's life, and 
a person could make an entire message out of these five things. Five things that I see in Daniel's prayer life that I wanted to share with you just real quickly, and it would benefit you greatly if you would just jot them down and make them a practice in your life. Five things, five important characteristics in Daniel's prayer life. Number one, Daniel had a specific place to pray. When Daniel prayed, he got in front of a particular window facing toward Jerusalem. And I would say to you, you should have a particular place, a private place, a special place where you meet your Lord every single day. You should That will help you in your prayer life. If you had a particular place, this is where I meet the Lord. Daniel had a specific place to pray. Number two, Daniel had a specific posture of prayer. The Bible says that he got down on his knees when he prayed. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it command that you have to get down on your knees and pray. But when you get down on your knees, it is a sign of humility. Now, the Bible doesn't say you have to physically and outwardly Show that humility and get down on your knees, but that better be an attitude of your heart, an attitude of humility. Daniel had a specific posture of prayer. Thirdly, Daniel had a specific period of time when he prayed. He prayed three times a day. Now, I don't know if that was at 9 o'clock, noon, and 6 o'clock, or sometime in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, but he had three times throughout the day that he had marked off in his schedule. Nothing was going to interrupt that time. Nothing was going to interfere with that time. He had a particular time, period of time when he prayed. You should do that. Whether it's 5 o'clock in the morning, whether it's 6 o'clock in the morning, whether it's at noon at your lunch break, or at some time in the evening, you should have some time on your clock during that day, during every single day, that regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's on television, regardless of what's going on at the, in the neighborhood, regardless of who playing football and who's on the golf course, there's a particular time that you pray. You should have a particular time in your life, sometime during the day, that nothing will interfere with that time you pray. But fourthly, Daniel had a specific purpose in prayer. The Bible talks about he got in front of a window that was facing toward Jerusalem. Now, the significance of that is that this was in, direct, was in obedience to a direct command from God. God had told the children of Israel, if you are ever taken away captive, when you pray, I want you to face toward your homeland. And that's why Daniel, here in Daniel chapter 6, he's in captivity in Babylon. He got in front of a window that was facing toward the homeland. So we see Daniel praying in accordance to God's plan and praying in accordance to God's purposes. But fifthly, the fifth characteristic about Daniel's prayer life that would help you, he was persistent in his prayers. The Bible says he prayed as he did aforetime. Regardless of the circumstances that were going on, regardless of how busy he was, he prayed. The idea is every, he got up in the morning, he prayed. In the afternoon, he prayed. That evening, he prayed. He got up the next day. In the morning, he prayed. In the afternoon, he prayed. In the evening, he prayed. The next day, in the morning, he prayed. In the afternoon, he prayed. In the evening, he prayed. It was a persistent thing. It didn't matter what anybody else was doing. It didn't matter what anybody else was saying. He was persistent and faithful to his prayer life. It didn't even matter that the king forbid it. He prayed. We ought to do the same thing. He was persistent in his prayers. But look at verse number 11. We'll move on in the story. Verse number 11 says that these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. They caught him. They caught Daniel praying. What, an, what a tragedy. What a crime. They caught him praying. I'm going to ask you a question. Has anybody ever caught you praying? Moms and dads, has your kids maybe ever walked into your bedroom to see you and 
you and mom or you and dad kneeling beside the bed praying? Teenagers, has mom, ever, mom or dad ever walked into your bedroom, see you kneeling beside your bed praying? I'm not saying you don't do it for show, but I tell you what, mom and dad, you want to make an impression. You want to make an impression on your kids? That'll do it. And over Thanksgiving break, Lisa and I, we went to West Virginia for the holidays. Actually, I think I told you before, I kind of went mainly for deer hunting, deer season up there in West Virginia. And went up there for Thanksgiving. I got my deer on Tuesday morning, so Wednesday I didn't have, I didn't have nothing to do. So uh, Lisa and I, we decided we'd try to find Mom and Dad, and we'd see if they wanted to go to lunch with us. In fact, we wanted them to take us to lunch. The fact of the matter is, but you know how that is. <clears throat> but... Uh, so anyway, where, where we live, and some of, some of you have been to our house there in West Virginia, we live about a mile outside the little town of Fairley. It's a little unincorporated town. You can't even find it on a map. We live even a mile outside of that. And uh, on, your way, on the way from our house to town where my dad's dry cleaning business is, is our church. You drive right past our church to get into town. And Lisa and I, we was driving to town. We was going to go to uh, the dry cleaners there and get dad, see if he wanted to go to lunch. And we drove by, and we look, happened to look over to church as we drove by, and we saw my dad's truck at the church, and I didn't know he's there. I didn't know why he was there, but we pulled in, and we walked in the door of the church, and, and we walked through the doors there, and we looked up at the, we looked into the sanctuary and looked up front, and down on the, uh, if you're looking down, down at the right hand of the altar, there was my dad. He was kneeling, and he was praying about 11.30 on a Wednesday morning. And Lisa and I, we tiptoed back out. We didn't want to disturb him anyway, and we got back in the car, I remember looking over at Lisa and I said, that's exactly why I have such a tremendous respect for my dad. Moms and dads, I'm telling you, if you want to make an indelible impression upon your children, pray with them and pray for them. That's the consistency of Daniel. The consistency of Daniel. But I want you to look at something else. I want you to see the conscience of the king. The conscience of the king. You see... When these accusers in verse number 11, when they caught Daniel praying, when they saw him praying, they make a beeline toward the king. They want to get to that king. They can't get to him fast enough. And they say, oh, king, you're not going to believe it. We caught Daniel praying. Well, when the king hears about this, oh, he's just heartbroken. He can't believe it. He knows now that he's been tricked. He knows that he's been trapped. He realizes now what these guys have been up to all along. They weren't trying to honor him. They were trying to destroy Daniel. Now the king, he loved Daniel. He had a tremendous respect for Daniel. He saw how Daniel lived his life. He knew he was pure. He knew he was blameless. And he knew it was because of his own pride and his own foolishness that he gets himself in this mess. And so the king tries every way he can to try to get out of this mess, try to keep from having to put Daniel in that lion's den. So he calls all of his lawyers together. He calls, calls all of his rulers together, and they spend all day trying to figure out how can we keep from throwing Daniel into the lion's den. Well, if you know anything about the law of the Medes and the Persians, it cannot be changed, and it cannot be broken. Even the king himself couldn't do anything about it. Not one thing he could do, but they spent all day trying to figure out what they could do to try to get out of it. But it comes to the end of the day, and the king has to have Daniel thrown in to the den of lions. Look at verse number 16. We read it just a little bit ago. Verse number 16. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. 
Now, as I said earlier, that's a pretty unusual statement for a pagan king to make. I don't know if the king was more trying to convince himself as he was Daniel. But then after the king, and we'll get back to where Daniel being in the lion's den, but the king, he then goes back to his palace and he, where he spends a miserable night. I mean a miserable night. He can't eat. He can't sleep. They try to bring him musicians. They try to bring him entertainers. And he don't want anything to do with any of that. He is just miserable. He cannot believe what has just happened to him. Here is a king that is suffering from a guilty conscience. Now, a conscience is a very powerful thing that God has put on the inside of us. Have you ever had to deal with your conscience? I hate having to deal with my conscience. I read an interesting story as I was thinking about this and studying these things. Did you know that ever since 1811 that the United States Treasury has operated what they call a conscience fund? You heard of the conscience fund? In 1811, apparently, an, an anonymous citizen Apparently he had, he had robbed the government, he had gypped the government $5, and he just sent that $5 to the government. He didn't want to turn himself in, he didn't want to go through the humiliation, he didn't want anybody to know his name, but he didn't want to deal with his conscience either, so he just sent $5 to the government to try to get, the con you know, get his conscience off his back. Well, do you know that ever since 1811 that the United States Treasury into that conscience fund has received over $3.5 million from guilt-ridden citizens? The guilty conscience is, is a very serious matter. And we see the king, he spends a miserable night, a miserable night for Darius. But we're about to see a miraculous night for Daniel. Let's move to the third part of the story. We not only see the decree of the king and the devotion of Daniel, but thirdly and finally, I want you to see the deliverance of the Lord. The deliverance of the Lord. Look at verse number 20. Verse number 20. And when he, talking about the king, came to the den, and it was early in the morning, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice. Now, I can almost hear that king. He's about halfway crying. He's whimpering. He's nervous. He's upset. And he comes and he cries with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Old Daniel, serve, old Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest, uh, whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee? From the lions, now look at verse number 21. This is good. Look at verse number 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, Good morning, king. What's for breakfast? Now he says, Oh, king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth, and they have not hurt me. Praise the Lord. Now, can I... Will you allow me to just let my imagination wander for a while? Can I... Can I, I like to just imagine... I like to read things in the Bible and just try to picture how exactly it happened. In my imagination, this is just how I think maybe all this kind of went down. Up in heaven, of course, you know, God's in control of all of this. Ever since the beginning, God's in, been in complete control. And about that evening, just before Daniel's being, getting ready to be thrown into the den of lions, God calls his special lion-taming angel. Do you know God had a lion-taming angel? He does. And God called for his special lion-taming angel. And that angel comes into the presence of God. And God says to that angel, he says, Do you see that den of lions down there in Babylon? Yes, my Lord. Well, I want you to go down there, angel. I want you to go down there and I want you to tame those lions for the night. You see, I've got my servant Daniel is going to spend the night in that particular den and I don't want one claw to touch him. In fact, I want you to make sure that Daniel has a very comfortable night in that den. Do you understand? Yes, my Lord. 
About that time, that angel, he, get, he leaves heaven. He goes down into that den of lions just a few minutes before Daniel's going to be cast into that den. And that, den, and that angel, he looks at all those lions and he begins to talk to them. Now, it's my imagination now. This angel, he begins to talk to these lions. He looks at them. He says, fellas, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go without dinner tonight. You see, a very special, a very important person is going to be spending the night in here in this den with you, and I want all of you, and that includes you, Simba. That includes, includes you, Leo. I want all of you to be on your best behavior. Then he begins to talk to them individually. He begins to pass out commands. He begins to talk to them individually, and he looks around, and he finds one. He says, Leo, looks like you've got the biggest mane. I want you to lay right here. And tonight I want you to allow Daniel to use your mane as a headrest and to provide for him some warmth and some comfort for the night. You lay right here. And he begins to scan the den again. He finds another line. He says, you, Simba, I want you to lay right here. I want you to lay right here, and I want you to allow Daniel to use your back as a footrest. Then he picks another line out. He says, you, I want you to come right here. I want you to sit right here, and I want you to use your tail, and I want you to swat the gnats and the mosquitoes away from Daniel all night long because I don't want any of those things touching Daniel during the night. And he takes care of all these things, and everybody's just in place. Well, Daniel's now being cast into the den of lions. Daniel, he looks around. He sees what's going on. Nothing's happened. So he walks over. And he lays himself down. He puts his head in the mane of one, of one lion. He props his feet up on the back of another lion. He gets a book out and he begins to read between the lines. I, you know, I don't know what all happened that night, but I do know this. Daniel spent all night long with those hungry with those ferocious, with those powerful lines, and he went all night long and not one scratch was found on Daniel. How did that happen? Because God sent his angel and says, don't touch Daniel, he's mine, and I'm not ready for him to come home just yet. You leave him alone, and that's exactly what those lines did. I want you to think about a couple of things. I want you to think about the reason for Daniel's deliverance. I want you to think about the reason for Daniel's deliverance. You see... The real message of Daniel chapter number 6 is not just the deliverance that God gave to Daniel. And that's a big part of it. That's a huge factor. And that's a big part of the chapter. But that's not the main message. The real message is that, that Daniel had faith in his God. Look at verse number 23. Halfway through verse number 23. Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. The reason for Daniel's deliverance is right there in his last few words of verse number 23. Nothing happened to him because he believed in his God. I heard somebody make a statement a while back. I don't know who said it. I don't know, remember, even remember where I was when I heard it. But here's the statement. The child of God who is in the will of God is invincible until God is ready to bring him home. Can I say that again? I want you to think about it for a minute. The child of God who is in the will of God, is invincible until God is ready to bring him home. Now, that does not mean that you're not going to face trials, and that does not mean that you're not going to face troubles. Daniel is an ex excellent example of that. He went through a trial. He went through a trouble. But what it does mean is this. There is nothing that this world can do to you. 
There is nothing that Satan himself can do to you without the express permission of your heavenly Father. Isaiah said it best. He said, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. The reason for Daniel's deliverance was that he had faith. He believed in his God and he was in the center of God's will and it was not time for Daniel to come home. And those lions could do nothing about it. The reason for Daniel's deliverance. But I want you to think about something else. Not only the reason for Daniel's deliverance, but think about the result of Daniel's deliverance. The result of Daniel's deliverance. And I want you to think about something for a moment. Think about this one. See if you would agree with this. God could have delivered Daniel long before he ever got into that den of lions. Do you agree with that? Couldn't God, in all of his power, couldn't he have worked it out where Daniel wouldn't even have had to face those lions to begin with? God could have done that, couldn't he? He could have done that, but he didn't. He wanted, he allowed Daniel to go through that experience. Why? Why did God allow Daniel to go through such a thing? Why didn't he just save Daniel all the, the heartache and the anxiety and thinking about even the prospect of going into a den of hunt? God could have delivered him from all that, but he didn't. He wanted Daniel to go into that den of lions. I think it's because God wanted to show you, God wanted to show me, God wanted to show Daniel and Darius and all that know this story that no situation is hopeless. There is not any situation that you'll find yourself in that it is hopeless. He, God wanted to demonstrate His power in such a way as to be a testimony to everybody that was there, to everybody who heard about this story and read this story. He wanted, God wanted everybody to know that no matter what you're going through, you serve a God that can deliver you. You serve a God that can, that can close those lions' mouth. You serve a God that can perform a miracle. No matter what problem you're facing, God has the answer. No matter what fear you have, God can give you comfort. No matter what guilt you are carrying, God can give you peace. No matter what den of lions you are facing tonight, God can deliver you. Now, I don't know what lions you are facing this evening. I don't know what you're experiencing in your life, but I can tell you this. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear the lion's den. You don't have to fear those things. You might be this week. You might be facing an economic line. You and your wife or whatever, you could have got out your checkbook. You're not even halfway through the month yet. Get all the bills the next two weeks and no more money. You might be facing a health line this week. You might be facing the lines of persecution. I don't know what you're facing, but you don't have to fear those things. No matter how heavy the burden, I'm telling you, no matter how heavy the burden, no matter how dark the night, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how large your problem, problems are, I don't care how much water is in your boat, God can deliver you. And God will deliver you. God, if it's in His will, He can deliver you from any and every circumstance. There is no situation, there is no circumstance that God can't deliver you from if it's His will to do so. I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice how this deliverance affected the king. I want you to notice how this deliverance affected King Darius. Look at verse number 26. This is the king. He said, and the king said, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. You know what? 
If you're in the lion's den this evening, you've been in it this week, you may have been in it for a month now. Could it be, could it be that God has allowed you to be in that lion's den because He wants to show maybe your next door neighbor or He wants to show that person you work with. Maybe God wants to demonstrate Himself through you to that person. You've heard the expression and it is true that you are the only Bible that some people will ever read. Could it be that you're in a den of lions today because God's wanting to reveal His power. God's wanting to, to, to reveal His realness. God wants to reveal that He is the true and the living God. He's wanting to do it through your life so that He could speak to somebody that's near you. Maybe your next-door neighbor or somebody that you work with. Darius, King Darius, a pagan king, he did not worship the one and true God. But when he saw what, God, what Daniel's God was able to do, Darius could do nothing but say, that is the true God. That is the real God. Daniel's God is a living God. God might be wanting to do that in your life. That might be why you're in the den of lions. Because God's wanting to reveal Himself to those that are around you. So tonight, if you're in the den, if you're in the lion's den, if you're if you're going through something like this, just have, believe in your God. Believe in your God like Daniel believed in his God. Believe in your God and know that God can deliver you from any situation, from any circumstance. God can deliver you. And you may just need to rest and take time to read between the lines. As for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And ask the musicians to come and take their place. And... <clears throat> Maybe you're here tonight and you've, you've been facing those lines. You've been in the den of lions and you've thought, man, why, why would God let me go through this? You've heard Brother Ken, you've heard your Sunday school teacher, you've heard different ones tell you how mighty and how powerful God is, and you think, why, hasn't, why did God allow this to happen to me? Well, like I said, it just might very well be that God's wanting to reveal himself to you or to somebody else around you. Maybe you're in that situation. I invite you to come here in just a few minutes, and I invite you to just to lay that thing on the altar and to just say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know exactly why you've allowed all this, but Lord, I'm just going to believe in you. I'm going to believe in you because I trust you, and I believe that you would not allow me to go through anything that's not your will for me to go through. And I also believe that if it is your will, you can deliver from this me from this right now. And you just want to turn that over to the Lord. And if that's you, I invite you to come. And there might even be somebody in the auditorium tonight that you've never been saved. And talking about this true and talking about this living God, He wants to be your deliverer. He wants to be your deliverer tonight. He wants to deliver you from your sins. These guys, and I didn't touch on the story that after Daniel was taken out of the lion's den, those very accusers that accused Daniel... Darius had them thrown into the lion's den. The Bible says before they even touched the floor of the den, they had been demolished. God wants to be your deliverer. He wants to deliver you from your sin. And if you don't know the Lord, please come and let somebody take the Word of God and show you how you can trust the Lord and show you how you can accept Christ as your personal Savior. I don't know what everybody's going through, but please, all I ask is that you just be faithful and you be obedient to what the Lord's telling you to do, what the Lord's, how the Lord's speaking in your heart. 
you just be obedient. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet if you would, and I'll have a word of prayer. Then Brother Rick will lead us in a uh, song of invitation. But you just be faithful to the Lord. Father, we do thank you that you are the true and the living God. And Lord, you've demonstrated yourself and you've shown that to us over and over and over again. And Lord, help us to just come back to you and say, okay, Lord, we, we just trust you. We just give to you our life and whatever you want to do, the, the mountaintop experiences, the valley experiences, Lord, we know that it is all for a reason, it is all for a purpose. And help us just to surrender totally to you. And we thank you that you are a mighty God and you can deliver from the lion's den. Father, we'll thank you and we praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.